I'm Jeanette Braverman, connector, entrepreneur, author, business professional, and yes, a public official. I've successfully pivoted multiple industries and along the way, I've met a lot of wonderful people. And now I've started a podcast called Keep the Conversation Going. Why? Because I have a lot to say, but most importantly, because I'm a continual learner and researcher. I love hearing from leaders that are also leaving legacies and making a difference in the lives of others. You see, that's my tribe, and I'd like you to meet them. I'll be interviewing leaders from around the world and just regular people that are also leaving a legacy. Please note that all of their opinions and beliefs are their own, but I guarantee that the conversations will be so interesting that you'll want to keep the conversation going. I look forward to hearing your feedback. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. This is Jeanette Braverman with Keep the Conversation Going, and I am here with David Cooks, the author of Undressed. I'm excited to have him here with us today. I'm going to share a little bit about David and his background before we get into our conversation. At the age of 15, David experienced a spinal aneurysm, leaving him a T6 paraplegic and a wheelchair user. His ability to overcome obstacles and achieve success in the face of adversity is really what makes his story inspiring and motivating to others. He received his Master's of Business Administration in Finance from Duke University and his Bachelor of Business Administration in Finance from the University of Wisconsin at Whitewater. His career path includes time spent in banking, finance, education, and athletics. He has spent nearly 25 years, in, including 17 years teaching at his alma mater, Marquette University High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. While at Marquette University High School, David taught economics and he also served as the director of diversity, the coordinator of academic support and served 11 years as the head varsity boys basketball coach and recorded a record of 155 to 92. David, welcome to our show. I tell you what, I am so excited to be here with you and uh, thanks for this opportunity. Oh my goodness, I have been waiting for this for a long time. I'm so glad we finally made time to get together, aren't you? Oh, I am. I, I think this is going to be a great time of sharing and, and a chance to get uh, to know more about me and more about you and, and all the great things that you were doing as well. Yes, yeah, so this book, Getting Undressed, I love the cover, by the way. What <laughs> well, inspired you. the cover? Well, uh, it was interesting. I, I didn't know... Um, what I wanted to do, but I knew I knew I needed a wheelchair on the cover, and I knew I was involved in basketball. And once I got the title of getting undressed, uh, which is something that we all do every day, yeah. you know, it, it it represents endings and beginnings, the rebranding, and those types of things. And for me, getting undressed really represented me regaining something I had lost, and that was my independence. Mm. And so that's how the cover. That's how, how the cover kind of came about, and I had envisioned it as such, and when I sent it to the people, it literally took um, one take, and we had the cover. Yeah, so who, I mean, who created this cover for you? Uh, Designs99.com. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I contacted them, and um, I had spoken with some other authors in the area who had used them, and they said, hey, if I were you, I would go with them and just tell them what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, I was, I was amazed at how quickly – it came to fruition. Yeah, I mean, before we get into you sharing your journey, I just want to tell you, 
I understand that journey of finding a great designer for your book cover because I ended up designing my own book cover. I had so, I've tried, I had tried several organizations, several companies, and they just couldn't get it right. I shared my vision. They just couldn't get it right. So I said, okay, I'm just going to do my own. So Design 99 is the place to go. Well, I tell you, it, it, it worked for me. And um, I also had gone through some other channels and different mm-hmm. things and, and just kept coming it up with dead ends. Yes. You know? And so once uh, I was talking to Derek Dupree, uh, who's also an author, and he suggested it. And I tell you what. Uh, they worked really well with me. They didn't try to change my vision. Mm. Um, they, I told them what I thought it should look like, and they began to tinker with it here and there and got the color scheme right, and I was really, really pleased. I and love should, it. Should I write another book, which, <laughs> yes. is, which is a big should, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I'll be going back to them as I well. I think I'm going to go to them too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the name of – look, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I'm telling you, look, the name of my book is 10 Reasons Communication Brings Transformation. If I could show you some of the graphics that were sent oh, back to me. <laughs> I can I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can imagine. make a comedy show out of just those <laughs> graphics. I mean, some of them came back with men on the front cover. And I'm thinking, like, I'm a woman author. Why would you put a man on the cover of my book? I mean, not that I don't like, I don't dislike men. <laughs> but why? Right, <laughs> I'm just I know, trying right? to understand. Uh-huh. So, but anyway, um, let's talk about your journey. I mean, you have done some amazing things. And to me, I know when I heard your story and started reading about it, I, and I've known you for over 20 years. Yeah. I mean, I could not believe all of the obstacles that you've overcome, you know, from the time you were 15 years old. You know, it's um, it's interesting. We, we Let's talk about a little bit the thought process behind the book and my journey and why I wanted to share my journey. Please share. Because, you know, I didn't really, I was at a point of transition in my life and I knew that um, my assignment was kind of up at the high school and and I knew I was supposed to go into this next phase Mm -hmm. and I thought part of that phase was sharing my story. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't realize until after writing the book itself Mm -hmm. uh, how many victories I had experienced over the years because I hadn't really stopped and reflected to see where I had been and mm-hmm. what I had been doing because I was always going and just doing the things I thought was important for me to do. But when I began to look back, um, it's, it's, it's miraculous, many of the things that I experienced um, and that it's a testament to uh, the will that, that God has given man to overcome. One of my quotes in the book is that your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure. Mm -hmm. And what that says is none of us want to go through anything, okay? Let's just be honest. I don't. Um, But you're going to, and the will that you have is much greater to get you through that than your desire not to have it. That's amazing. I love that quote. That is, oh, that is amazing. So talk about, tell us a little bit about um, just once this happened to you, how did your family respond and, and how did they help you? Yeah, I, I, a couple of things. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for my parents and how they always instilled in us the values of gratitude and thankfulness. Uh, we are a faith-filled family. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I had received Christ in my life when I was walking. I was 13 years old. Okay. And, and so to have my family and faith support was pretty important. 
when you when you undergo something as traumatic as as uh, going from walking to not walking, yes, um, it is crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not it's not anything you can just kind of wink at. But I remember my my mom and dad always um, taught us to let's just be thankful for whatever we have and how we can make things work and just keep moving forward. Um, there was never a moment where um, there were, we were I was allowed to not believe I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. There was never a moment um, where I was treated any differently than my brother and sisters. There was never a moment where the standard was changed for me. The expectations were always the same. We expect you to be a good citizen. We expect you to be a good student. We expect you to have a career. These are the things that were that were put into me. Mm-hmm. I really believe um, there, there's a story about a, a man at a Starbucks who ordered some coffee. And there was another customer there, and it he bumped him, and he spilled his coffee on the floor. And someone asked him, "Why? how did you spill your coffee? And and he was partially right when he said, well, the person next to me bumped me. But if water was in that cup, water would have ended up on the floor. If milk was in that cup, milk would have ended up on the floor. Mm. So when life bumps into you, mm. what's in you is going to come out. And so the things that were in me were resiliency and thankfulness and perspective and to keep going. That's what was in me, so that's what came out. And so I have to credit my, my parents for doing that. Yeah, I mean, so Dave, I'm just sitting here looking at you. And, um, you know, I I can't even imagine, honestly. And so you have been living in a wheelchair yeah, for most of your for life. For most of my life. But when you were telling me about the stories where you lived in New York, you relocated and, you know, you had to find your apartment, find a job. You did all of this on your own. I mean, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think um, that there were there were steps in the process. So so clearly one of the first things was to get out of rehab and get back home. I yeah. think that was one of the first victories. Okay. Um, the the uh, therapist and the doctors it said I, I would probably be there about six months. Well, I was out in two months. And I, I went in on October 24th of 1979, and I was home December 24th of 1979, Christmas Eve. And that was because you worked that, that hard. We worked that hard. I had a roommate named Tony Otters. I tell people that um, the T6 paraplegic, the spinal aneurysm, was life-changing. But meeting my roommate was is what changed my life. Mm-hmm. Tony Otters was a quadriplegic, and he had suffered a broken neck from a diving accident. And when I met Tony... Um, I, I was still in my bed and hadn't learned how to do things. He was sitting up in his chair, and he was like one of the most positive people I'd ever, ever met. Mm-hmm. And he always talked about he was looking forward to going home and to going to medical school. And I, I the, the last part of that threw me off for a little bit. Like right. me- medical school, medical, you, you have less ability than, than I, I do. have. Uh-huh. But wow. his vision and his goals were not impacted by the adversity in his life. And so purpose and goals are not redefined because of adversity. What they, what they do is they redirect you. And if you allow the process to work, it can refine you. Ooh, you're preaching right now. And so, <laughs> I just want to say amen. <laughs> Go ahead and say that, it. That's so good. And so, so that began my journey of my first, I saw how hard he worked. And it gave me a perspective because perspective drives your effort. And your, and your perspective drives your attitude. 
And relationships come as a part of that too. And I think relationships are everything. So that was my first step of getting independence and working hard enough to get a win. Okay. On the other side of the flagrant foul is the ability to, the opportunity to score. Okay. Because after a flagrant foul in basketball, you get two shots in the ball back. Mm. It was meant to keep you from scoring, but you actually get a chance to score. And so that was my first score. My life, giving my, getting, getting my life back, back was two shots and the ball. And it's been game on ever since. And so my goal was to be a basketball player for my high school, and I always wanted to be a banker. Okay. 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 I didn't know much about banking. Right. Uh, I just knew they wore nice suits and were around a lot of money. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think that's a pretty good combination. <laughs> right, and right. so so my very first job I got was filing checks at a bank. Hmm. And that led to so many things. But I always had the end game in mind when I was doing these things that may have seemed mundane. Because okay. I went from filing checks to counting money in the vault. So I'm getting closer to the money. I see. I see. (laughs) And then from there, internship with the bank, full-time job with the bank, all of these things were building, were built on each other. And there were people in my life that helped me get there. Hmm. I'd be the first to tell you this. Mm -hmm. I am not a self-made man. Mm -hmm. I'm an, I'm a help made man. And the wheelchair is not what changed my life. It's the people who have been in my life that helped change my life. Let's talk about that a little bit. Like some of the people that, that, um, well, even here in, was it Milwaukee? Where yes, it was in Milwaukee. Okay. So this first happened in Milwaukee. And so you had that support system here in Milwaukee. So you were a banker here in Milwaukee. Yes. I worked, I worked for what is now BMO Harris Bank, but I was at the M&I Bank. Okay. And I remember so M&I. I was a part of the inroads program back in the day, and um, there were a number of, of executives in the city that had identified me as someone they thought would um, had leadership potential and could be successful. Uh, names that you would know, Fred Stratton, Jim Wigdale, um, Dennis Kester, D- Donald Shank, those were the people that uh, embraced me and helped me along the way. Um, they saw things in me that I couldn't see at the time. That's what I love about leadership, is leadership is never focused on today. It's always focused ahead. And so I didn't know what they were seeing. Uh, I just knew that I was given an opportunity. And one of the reasons I believe I've been successful in my life is because I've been given opportunity. And then I took advantage of those opportunities to the best that I could. Exactly. Because opportunities can be presented all day long. Yes. It's what you do with them. It's what you do with them. So I was fortunate enough um, to always know to do my best, whatever that was. And so then I met a guy named Mark Hogan at the bank. Mark recently retired as the CEO of the Wisconsin Economic Development Court. And Mark was my mentor at the bank. And Mark taught me how to be a, how to be a banker. He really kept, held me accountable and did all those things. But one of the things that Mark also did for me was he knew I had a passion and still had a love for the game of basketball. And he suggested to me, why don't you coach? And I was like, well, I, yeah, I would love to coach, but who should I coach? And he said, well, uh, the bank has a team. The bank? Hmm. I said, okay, well, you know, I'll do that. And, and again, a small beginning. And so um, – So you had zero experience coaching. I had zero coaching. experience coaching at least 
with that. I mean, I had done some summer stuff with, with guys that were home from college and that kind of stuff, but they mm-hmm. were like ball players. Right. These were men who had children and stuff, and I tried to make them run up and down the court, and they looked at me like, look, man, we're, t- we're tired. We worked all day. So, we, we just right. here to shoot a little bit. Don't so play So where did the love, though, of basketball come from? It was there from the beginning. As a kid, um, one, I played all the time. Okay. We played on the playgrounds. Um, we till the street lights came on and all that. We would shovel the snow in the wintertime. So that love for the game yes. was one of the things I always had. So so it's it's basketball and, and, and banking. You held on. And, I, and I held on to that. And so that didn't – it's interesting. Um, the paralysis didn't paralyze my goals. Mm-hmm. It did not at all. Um, that's, that's a book right there. Y- yes, <laughs> it is. Because it's, <laughs> it's another to, book. You, you're the only one that can – destroy your dreams mm. circumstances can't do that you can though that's right you know and so those things stayed alive in me and so I'm doing this coaching thing and I'm working and and all of a sudden I start working with professional teams and I get to meet people wait and, how did that happen because at the bank they they had the accounts and so I ended up ended up being like the secondary officer on accounts with the Milwaukee Bucks and these things and next thing you know I'm interacting with you know, professional athletes, professional athletes, you know, and so here I am now, I'm getting the best of both worlds. Mm. I'm a banker and I'm coaching basketball and I'm, re- I'm, I'm connecting with the Terry Cummings of the world and uh, end up meeting Michael Jordan and all these types of things. Mm-hmm. And that's because I had a mentor who saw all of me and was interested in me being successful as an, as a whole person, not just as a banker and not just as a basketball guy. Mm. The other thing I think I'm hearing you say is that all of these men that were around you, they were teaching you how to be a connector all along. Yes. You were watching them. I was watching, paying attention, uh, everything. And it's funny. Um, I would try to dress the way they dressed. <laughs> exactly. I, would, I would try to do all the things because they, they were what I was, what I had envisioned myself becoming. Exactly. You aspired to be I like them. I aspired to be like them. So I was studying the best that I could that I had in front of me. And so all while not even thinking about your challenge. Not, this is what I love. Right. This it was independent of the daily struggle. Yeah. And and the struggle is real and mm-hmm. it's difficult. This is not an easy life. So and it's been it's been hard. There are days I don't feel like doing this, yeah. but I never make decisions based on feeling. I make I make my decisions based on purpose, because if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, not only do I lose out, but there's some people connected to what I'm supposed to do. Absolutely. You know, and so that keeps me going. So it was amazing um, after. Um, well, before you go there, I just want to say the people that are connected to what you're supposed to do are you have a global ministry. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not just other people that are handicapped. It's everybody. Oh, absolutely. It's I mean, your story, I think it transcends generations. It transcends ages, um, genders. I mean, your story is so transformational to me, and and it has been such an inspiration to me. I'm telling you, I just don't complain anymore. You you know, there's certain things I complain about, but then I think about you, I'm like, I just need to be quiet and keep on moving because that's what you do. You keep on moving. You keep on moving, and I think that's – that's the challenge that we all face. I mean, when we, when we, the subtitle of the book is From Paralysis to Purpose. Mm-hmm. So that implies there's movement and there's motion. Yes. You can't get from one thing to another without movement. Without movement. And so one of the reasons, I, you know, when I, when I wrote the book, 
I didn't have an audience in mind. And I, I know that's not what you're supposed to do when you write a book. But I had a purpose in mind, which I think is greater than the audience. Mm. And the purpose was to encourage people and to inspire them to move from whatever is causing paralysis in their life mm -hmm. to get to their purpose. Because when you get to the other side of that thing, you have opportunities and blessings and the ability to score that you would never have gotten if you stopped at the point of paralysis. Mm. And I'm trying to and that's what I'm trying to do with the book. Yeah, you are doing it. I'm telling you, you're doing I'm so glad you wrote it, you know, because, I mean, your story needs to be heard, Dave. And so let's talk a little bit about this journey. So now you're out here. You're I've seen you on the road. You've been getting several speaking engagements, um, organizations here in Wisconsin and beyond. Mm -hmm. How, how's that working out? And like what it, is it that you go to one speaking engagement and then that then introduces the opportunity for another? Is that what's going on? Yeah. Or are you deliberately out there just, you know, hustling? I, well, I, well, I think it's a combination of the two. I okay. think you've got to hustle before you can get the referral. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you as you hustle and you and you and you uh, um, secure opportunities to share your story and speak, then people begin to share with others what they've heard. Mm -hmm. And that has been really great for me lately because, you know, I, I'm new to this, uh, to this arena, <laughs> right, you know, right. and so I don't know how to find conferences and how to find all these things, yeah. but I just start trying to reach out to people and say, hey, I have a story and w would you be interested? And I, I did a lot of that. And um, so just that, just, like, seriously, just doing that, it's huge. It takes a lot. Look, it takes it takes courage. Yes. To reach out and to have enough confidence in yourself, right? That hey, I'm gonna get that gig. That's huge. I I have so many people that come up to me all the time and ask like, wow, how did you write a book? You know, and and what did it take to write that book? Like they're stuck. Yes. Yes. They're stuck. Yes. So that's another story that you have to tell, right? It's like you wrote the book, you stepped out, wrote the book, and now you're out there. And it's interesting because one of the things I've learned over time is that no really doesn't mean no unless I'm dead. Mm. And so, and so <laughs> you know, and so, so I've learned not to take, I've learned to use rejection as an opportunity there you go. and not something personal. Yeah. They may not, it may not be the right time or whatever for me to speak with that organization or do, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I first started coaching in the Northeast and I was calling around, I didn't tell them I had coached at Duke and, I know we kind of didn't talk about that yet, but, mm -hmm. and I, and, and I remember uh, high school ADs just telling me, no, we're not interested. No, we're not interested. No, we're not interested. Without an answer. Without an And all, I just wanted to volunteer and help. I wasn't mm -hmm. asking to be paid or anything. Mm. And so w eventually I got a yes. And that's my point is that at some point there's somebody assigned to say yes to you. Mm. And you just got to keep going through the nose and don't get bitter don't take it personally. Uh, don't lose your confidence uh, because I personally believe that I, I only want to walk through open doors. Trying to walk through a closed door could cause a concussion or something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so, so that has helped me too uh, to know that, you know, rejection is just another form of, of opportunity. I love it. So let's talk about Duke. Yeah, let's talk about that. So, so this is the crazy part. So I left the bank in 1991 because I wanted to get my MBA. And mm -hmm. that was just one of the personal, again, a personal goal that I had. Yes. After five years of working at the bank, I figured I would be an officer if I did what I was supposed to, mm -hmm. which would put me in a position if I didn't like business school to come back and work. Yes. 
I get to go to Duke University. So you get to go to Duke University. You just say it all, <laughs> just like, oh, nonchalant. I get to go to Duke University. Well, let me let me tell you. Let me, <laughs> you're so funny. I, <laughs> that, I, uh, that takes work, getting yeah, into yes. Duke University. Well, let me tell you. What got me in was in the, on the, in the application process, they ask you to describe your perfect job. Mm-hmm. And so I told them I would be a basketball coach in a town that had a lot of lakes so I could go fishing. Okay. And so when they got it, they, they were called and said, you know, we need to see you. We, can you fly down? We need to interview you because we haven't seen anything like this. And, I, and it, was, it was a moment is where long before we started talking about being authentic and transparent, that's what I was being. They asked me what my favorite job would be. Mm. They probably were used to saying, whether it be a GM, GM of a sports team or an investment banker or something. But look, if I can get paid, paid well to fish and coach who's the fool oh my i would do that and that's what got me in the in the fuqua school of business that essay wow isn't that crazy that is crazy that's great and i can't believe i wrote that either did i really write that (laughs) (laughs) i know now you're thinking (laughs) now i'm thinking like what was i thinking what was i thinking (laughs) but uh but it got you but it got me in and it was Mm -hmm. the truth and i think people can handle when you're being honest and you tell the truth they may not get it all the time Mm -hmm. but they at least respect you yes so i get to duke and I had been fortunate enough to do some coaching back here in Milwaukee with some good AAU teams and stuff. Yes. And, and I was like, you know what? I, I think I want to meet Coach K. And I think I want to try to see if I can help the program yes. and be a part of it. So I'm like, all right, let me go try to meet him. And I go and I go to knock on his door and in his office and, and he's not there. And uh, I guess he was on vacation. That's what the secretary told me. Mm-hmm. So I leave him a note and come back a second time and he's still on vacation and and I begin to wonder, I'm, I know he had just won a national championship, but yes. how, how much vacation exactly. does this guy get? Right. And so so it was interesting because I almost went into negative thought mode that they were trying to blow me off. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And I yeah. was like, ah. So it happens. I, and it happens because you, you feel that way. So I'll go back a third time. And this time she said something totally different. She said to me, uh, he's not available. Oh, wait a minute. So that means he's in town. So I, so, so I get there. And I'm about to leave. I leave him another note. And there's a player in the office named Tony Lang. I have Tonys in my life for whatever reason. And Tony said, hey, aren't you the guy from Wisconsin? And I I hesitated to answer the question because I I didn't know who he was. And I didn't really know what to say. Exactly. And he continued on and said, I saw you in Florida with your AAU team from Wisconsin. And I loved how you interacted with your players. Are you here to help our team? So I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, absolutely. I'm from Wisconsin, and I'm here to help your team. Yes. Uh, and it was a lesson in you never know who's watching what you're doing. Never you never know. I didn't know him. I didn't know he saw me anywhere. But most importantly, it was the third time you went back. It was because th- if you would not have gone back the third time, you absolutely. wouldn't have seen Tony. Absolutely. And so there's a lesson about persistence in all of the things that we do in life. You need to be persistent until you see it through. Yes. Until you see it yes. through. And so I had to go back a fourth time. Yeah. Because he still wasn't there. Yeah. And the fourth time. You got him. We got it. We got together. And and the rest is kind of history. Oh, as I my say. goodness. Isn't that crazy? So you got, wait. But- I, I get to meet with Coach K and um, he offers me the opportunity to be a part of the program. Um, and there was nothing really that he could officially do. So the first year I just kind of hung out. Um, and went in the corner every day, stayed out of the way, and just observed. 
Hmm. You know, they never gave me a playbook, never gave me anything, but I learned the language, I learned what they were doing, I learned the culture. So the next year when there was an opportunity, he said, hey, if you're, if you're willing to be a manager, we'd like to have you be a part of our program. And so let me explain what a manager does. And I'm 28 years old. I'm getting my MBA, year number two. He's asking me basically to run down loose balls, fill up water bottles, do laundry, and make Gatorade. Hmm. And I didn't hesitate to do that because 10 years ago I filed checks that led to me being a commercial loan officer. Hmm. So I understood that, that, that there was nothing – bad with small beginnings exactly nothing wrong with with that do the best you can i didn't i didn't do though i didn't i didn't do the manager thing very long it was only a matter of time before i was involved in in coaching and other things to help the program so that's kind of how how that came about oh my so you were a manager which led to yeah part-time he 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 would call me part-time coach part-time psychiatrist (laughs) part-time my manager (laughs) i was tutoring tutoring the guys in economics and stuff and just you know just going to try to help, you know, and I think that the one thing I never did, and this is a lesson for everyone that I've learned, give before you ask. I never asked for anything. I went to give and see how I could help. And as a result of giving, I was asked to do certain things. Mm. I didn't go in there asking for stuff and asking to, to do that. You know, I just want to see if there's a way I can serve. Okay. Is, there, is there a way I can help? And I tell you what, when you go... When you go into anyone's place with that kind of mindset, they'll it, open the doors. Op- the doors, the will, doors open. will open. So after Duke, is that when you came, ended up coming back to Milwaukee? After Duke, I moved to the Northeast for nine years. Oh, wait, wait. I'm missing something. You met your wife. On the nor- in the Northeast, yes. Yes, yes. you and met so- your wife first. <laughs> we, can't, we cannot leave her Yeah, we cannot leave her out. Leave her She's out. so lovely. Yes, Mary Pat is my lovely wife. Yes. And so I, and how, how many years have you been married? Twelve now. Okay, She's been beautiful. 12 years. And so I actually, when I left Duke, I went into the Northeast and I worked for a GE Capital in finance. And I still was coaching on the side and doing some other things. And, and eventually that's where I met, met my wife. I moved back to Wisconsin. Uh, in 1999 and she still lived out on the east coast and i came back home uh, to my alma mater Mm -hmm. and um i again i didn't know what i was i knew i was i knew transition was it was the time to transition not sure exactly what what that was going to be or how that was going to work uh and then 17 years later you know um i look back and i had a great career at the at the high school and um not only on the basketball front, but in the classroom and out of the classroom. And, and most importantly, uh, I think I was able to impact people's lives and leave them in a better place than where I, I found them. Absolutely. And, and I think that's really at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we all can do that and leave a place better than when we got there, I think that's, that's a win. Well, it's exactly what you do because just having a conversation, conversation with you, I think anybody um, experience this experiences this with you is that we don't see your situation yeah at all yeah. we don't y- yep. you what you bring to the table is just a level of competence and confidence that you know we forget your situation and to the point where <laughs> like you know what I'm saying yes. to the point where we probably you know we shouldn't forget it <laughs> we should we should still remember that we need to help Dave in some yes. way. But like, I'm, have you ever experienced that where you're just so overly confident and 
confident and competent where people are like, they kind of forget that you still need a little help. It is so hilarious. Sometimes I'll be with my, <laughs> with my friends and we'll be going somewhere and we'll stop to pick someone up. And I'm like, well, what are you waiting on? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, my fault. I forgot you can't, I, you can't get out. I'll, get, I'll go get the doorbell. And so it, it actually happens like that. And I, and I think it's funny, but you know what? It is also a gift from God that he has graced me enough to make this difficult thing look easy. Yes, yes. And, and so that has happened. You carry your situation with so much grace, and that and that is what I see, and that is what is so inspirational to me, yeah. and so many others. Mm-hmm. So and so after Mary Pat, then you went to Mar- then you started working for Marquette. Yes, and you were a coach there for many for many, many years. years. Yep, I was I was there. I, I coached 14 years total, uh, three JV and, and the 11 varsity. And I really hadn't planned on getting back into coaching. I had had a fairly successful tenure out on the East Coast and, and doing some things. And, and anonymity had become something I desired. I just wanted to kind of be just another guy in, mm-hmm. in the grocery store, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but the passion and love for the game was still there. And when opportunities presented itself for me to stay involved, I absolutely jumped at those. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get fired as the head basketball coach. Uh, <laughs> and that happens. And that, ha- look, you know something? <laughs> that happens a lot That in happens sports. a lot in sports. Yeah. And, and it was one of the things that really shook me to my core um, because I thought I had done a good job and I thought I treated everybody well and that kind of stuff. And, you know, what do you do when you've done everything you know that that's the right thing to do and it still doesn't work out? Here I am faced with that. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. What I didn't know was that it was actually positioning me to be an assistant coach at Concordia University and then to represent the United States overseas with Frank Martin uh, in 2014. Things that I would have never done had my desire to retire at the high school as the coach been fulfilled. Exactly. And so, so you know, God orchestrates these things and yeah. once and once he, he you pushed under, you out, push, he pushed me out. He had, to push, he had out to push me out because you would have stayed there forever. I'd have stayed there forever. Yeah, I would have stayed there forever. And 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 once I kind of saw the picture, it changed because I was upset and angry about that for how it went down. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I and I once I understood what was going on, a sense of gratitude came over me in terms of the opportunities that I had been given, the success that I had had, and I also knew that gratitude and anger cannot coexist. I'm going to have to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Well, your destiny was just so much bigger than Milwaukee. Yes. And, 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 you know, and it's, it's interesting. You don't know. You have an idea sometime, um, but you really don't know. When you're in the matrix, mm-hmm. you really can't see everything that's going on and exactly. who you're impacting. Unless you're Keanu Reeves. Right. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly right. Touche. <laughs> and so, um, so that's where I am today, you know, and thus, and that, that was part of getting the book done. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I struggled with writing the book because I'm not, um, I'd rather speak. I think I've been gifted to speak and talk and do that kind of stuff. Writing a book was a really stretch for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you mentioned it to me at some point, you need to go on ahead and write that book. I remember that. And, I was and, like, Dave, when are you going to write the book? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And I remember, um, I remember going to Boston in December of 2016. I was on a flight, and it was my first real big speaking gig. I had just been booked by a, a speakers bureau, and we were going to do a, some quick stuff to get some deals done. Well, on the way there, I ended up 
having trouble breathing on that flight. Mm-hmm. And I needed oxygen and all that, and I told the, the flight attendant, if you could do me a favor, just have EMT waiting for me so when I get off the plane, I can go to ER because I need to uh, get this looked at. I've got three hours before I need to speak. Well, it turns out I ended up, ended up having massive blood clots in my lungs. Mm. And so I never gave that speech. And while I was in the hospital, up in ICU because they had no hospital beds for me, some of my former students had found out I was at the hospital. And they were doctors there now. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. They began to come up and talk to the people who were taking care of me about, you know, this is my teacher, blah, blah, blah. And then the doctors began, one after another, independently, to ask me where my book was. And once I got out of there, I came home and I asked my wife if it's okay. I need to just kind of shut things down and get this book written. And write the book. And for me, and everyone kind of can learn from this because I learned I was on my purpose road. I was just out of order on it. Mm. I knew I was to speak, but I was supposed to get the book done first. first. And I was speaking before the book was done. And that all got put on hold really quick. And once I did that, now I'm in the place that I am. Uh, And on the other side of completing that book is a sense of confidence and accomplishment. I mean, you know what that's like um, when you're done doing that. Oh, it feels so so good. Just such a relief. It's a relief. Um, And then you can begin to do you know, all the things that you're supposed to do. Yes, and I was so happy to be able to connect you with my publisher, Kira Henschel. Yes, yes. It, it was it was so many things that were in place for me, and I call them divine appointments of people that I didn't know knew this person and that person, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the same names kept popping up like Kira, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? I'm not that smart. So since this name keeps coming up, I need to try that person. Since this name keeps coming up, try that. And you know what? It has been uh, just a pure joy for me to work with all of these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the future and and the best is yet to come. Yes. The best is really yet to come. Are you already thinking about another book or? For me to write? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. You're funny. You are funny. I'm just wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't. It's interesting. I don't know. Um, I, there could be another one within my book. Uh, there are so many principles and lessons taught as leadership stuff and coaching things and all that, where I probably have three or four books within that book. That's exactly right. Like what we just talked about earlier when we started the conversation that, that you said that you cannot let, um, paralysis prevent you from meeting your goals. Yes. And like, that's a book right there. Right. And so that's what I mean. There, 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 I, I could see some things coming um, uh, where I could flesh out some of these concepts and ideas. Exactly, because paralysis can mean so many different things. It can mean things. so many things. It can mean so many things. And so uh, if we can just, um, you know, get me through this next 18 months or so. <laughs> <laughs> I know, your see, road show. You're on the are. road right now. <laughs> so, Dave, this has been amazing. I appreciate you sharing your story. We're going to make sure that there's information on the website about your book and links to where people can buy your book. Um, how much is your book? The book is twenty dollars. Okay. Oh, that's it. Oh yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> yes, a that's great it. price. It's a great price for a great book. For, it's, a, it's a good book. It's and, a good book. I mean, it's a great read too. It's the it's a read that you just you won't want to put the book down once you get started. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's, it's, and so um, if there are, I guess, any tips that you can give authors out there 
um, what would they be? Authors, and then also just any final words you want to share with our audience. Yeah, I, I think for authors, I, I think, um, you know, be, be yourself and uh, don't try to write to be someone else. Tell your story the way you tell it. Mm-hmm. I think that is so important. And then be happy with that. Don't, don't do anything different. I think one of the greatest things Coach K ever told me when I had my first coaching job, he said to me, he said, David, I don't try to be like me. I need for you to be who you are because you're pretty good at who you are. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And it takes away the need to compare and figure out how does my book measure to someone's else, someone else's and those types of things. So that's what I would say to authors. I think the final thing I would, I would say to people um, is that life is not fair. Uh, life is full of uh, challenges and adversity and injustices. But there's no law that says it has to keep you from being successful. There are two things that I can control, and and I think everybody can. What occupies my mind and what occupies my time. What I choose to believe is up to me about me. And what I choose to do is up to me. Mm. And once you take accountability for yourself, then you can figure out how the paralysis of injustice and all these things can't hold you back from fulfilling your purpose. And once you get there, it's amazing the benefit you will have to others because I still am convinced that unless you're serving someone else, you're not in your purpose. Well, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being with me here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a long time coming. And so, everyone, we love to hear your comments and feedback, and we want you to keep this conversation going. Um, I will be sharing more about upcoming interviews with movers and shakers across Milwaukee and Ozaki County. And so if you have any interviews that you would love to hear, please shoot me a message at Jeanette at LeadersLeavingLegacies.com. That's J-A-N-E-T-T-E at LeadersLeavingLegacies.com. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.